Welcome to another episode of the Dentology Podcast, where we discuss the business of dentistry. In this podcast series, we'll be discussing all the non-clinical aspects of dentistry, from goodwill values, finance, marketing, how to buy and sell a dental practice mindset, through to where you can invest your money in team management issues. My name is Andy Acton, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Trevens. Let's jump straight into it. Oh, Bavian Bats lived a life of many men, hasn't he? No, I'll tell you what. I mean, yet again, you know, how long have we known him? 20 years. And and some of that stuff that he told us, especially, you know, his early years and, and his inability to communicate, mm. uh, you know, talking to him now, you'd never, ever, ever guess that, would you? And what, what a, a massive transformation for somebody that struggled... And in the episode, he goes into the detail of, of what those struggles were like in his early years. Mm. Um, his utter honesty of what his practice ownership experience was like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sort of a, it was quite interesting. I thought, I, I just thought it was a really interesting one. It's it's definitely one you need to um, be paying attention to. Yeah, I think it, it is. Was, there's some there's some real key gems. Yeah, in there, really. I mean, he, he commented a couple of times. This keeps going deep. I thought it was supposed to be fun. It keeps going deep, but there's real thoughtful nuggets in there that. It's the sort of episode you could probably listen back to a couple of times. Yeah, so I think so much in to, it. it's, it's one you definitely need to listen to a few times. Yeah. Right? No, it's really good. Really no, enjoyable. Good stuff. So we've got a little treat ahead of us now. We have. Looking forward to having a chat to Dr. Bavin Bat. Uh, Dr. Bavin Bat, a dentist, um, ex-practice owner, and currently the CEO of the Alina Alchemy Academy. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Bavin. How are you doing? I'm really well. Thank you for asking. Yeah, yeah brilliant good. to well, see. Thank you, brilliant for, to thank see you for joining us. We know you're you're a very busy guy, and our our history charts back for many years, doesn't it? I think most recently we we worked together on helping you sell your dental practice in Bishop Stortford, but our relationship spans way back before then. Yeah, I mean, I actually had hair and a third to waist back then, so <laughs> <laughs> long time ago. Have <laughs> both of those things left you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we know. So I think the last time we saw you Bavin to chat to was at the uh, the Bollywood Ball, wasn't it? So what, I mean, and I can't believe that must be seven months ago. Yeah. And that, that was, it was nice actually to have a catch up because we just caught up, haven't seen you for a while, um, stood yep. by a pool, which was quite bizarre, an indoor pool. Yeah. It was just like, it was a, a great event. Any of you listening, uh, next Bollywood Ball, make sure you book your tickets. Yeah, February But it is great. It was a great event, really good event. It was good. It was good. Um, but no, we've we've been fortunate enough to work on a number of, of acquisitions with you, for you, and also selling practices for you over the years. Yeah, it's been a, an amazing experience. Uh, you, you, you are the go-to guys. You made the whole thing seamless and easy. And even on some of them, we had a few challenges. Uh, you guys are amazing <laughs> to sort everything out. So challenges, we like we like well, challenges. challenges. We yeah, like yeah, challenges. Challenge. <laughs> um, before we get into the the stories of of you know your practice ownership and what you you learnt from that, um, can you sort of just take us back to the beginning? You know, what was life like for you when you were young? Um, you know, gr- growing up. Yeah, what was what was the the young life looking like for Bavin? So, as with many people of Indian ancestry in the UK, parents come from East Africa, poor family. I had a speech impediment growing up, so I didn't speak for almost eight to nine years. Wow. What? Seriously? Yeah. So I had a... Re- wow. The hardest thing in life is you're you're given something like a stammer and a stutter. So mm. my initials are... <laughs> so if, if we were sat in Stratford having a coffee 
and some of my school friends walk by, they'd still be blah, 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 to me. It still happens amazingly. And my, and my son got the same problem. So that created anxiety and nervousness. Mm. So my ability to get nervous is so unreal. I more or less failed every exams up to my GCSEs. And I was always in the middle or lower sense because wow. I used to get panicked at having to perform for exams. Mm. And I was, I think I was the first person in dentistry to be hypnotized for their exams. Wow. I say, how did you over, so, how did you overcome the stammer then? Did, did you, did, were you hypnotized or go through therapy? I mean, how do you get over a stammer? I don't know. Really. So if I link this to a line of alchemy, my inspiration is how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. Mm-hmm. And my thing is, if I could do it, anyone can do mm. it. If my son can overcome his stammer and I can help him to get onto a stage with 3,000 people and he, he's doing oratory and a monologue. <laughs> wow. But what you realize is that the human mind, I mean, if you just think about it, Chris, if you were to speak to your, your younger self or, or your little one when they're five or six and they say, I want to do this, you believe in their unlimited potentiality yeah. because there's no fear. Mm. It's just... And you, and you support them to do whatever they want. And my life experience has shown me that I've achieved things that people thought were humanly not possible considering me and who I was. <laughs> and at every point, it's you can achieve whatever you want. Mm. And it was... I, I become a dentist because of my dad. Right. And it's the weirdest thing because my dad worked in the city of London. He was one of the only coloured people that you'd see in the city of London. You may remember many years ago, there was a incident called the Exxon Valdez. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah, a big oil spill. Yeah, yeah. And my dad was the fourth highest person in that department. And he was the first person to be laid off. Wow. And my, and my dad couldn't help thinking that in those times to progress in life, it was either the school that you went to, uh, yeah. the tie you wore. And he didn't understand why he was the fall guy. Mm. So his thing was in life, and he saw a shift in the culture. So he says, you you want to make ethical money by helping people and not all this financial stuff where you play on a computer with numbers. Mm-hmm. Because his thing was that money never brings you happiness. You want to serve humanity. You want to do what you love, but you need to be self-employed because he saw a cultural shift in the 60s and 70s and then the 80s with how the world was working. And he saw inequality, inequity. And he said, you need to be the master of your own destiny. So when I made a list of everything, how do I help people do something that's based on science, which I Mm -hmm. loved, where I'm Mm -hmm. (laughs) self-employed, there's not many things left. So it was like, right, let's be a dentist. It's quite... Which is uh, the weirdest reason to become a dentist. Yeah, but there's there's a real solid foundation and logic to, to why you got there as well. And it, it's been the best thing for me because it's challenged me at every point. I failed my A-levels first time, didn't get the grades. Huge amount of pressure to become a cropidist. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Because in those days, you had to do your UCAS and your UCA and your PCAS, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So now we're showing our A, gentlemen. Yes, we are. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Where you had to apply to university and a polytechnic. Mm. I didn't get any university offers. I didn't make the grades. So it's 
you know, we don't think you're meant for academia and being clever and intelligent. Just don't d push yourself and punish yourself. Mm. Be a chiropodist. But inside it felt like there was a voice that kept saying your current reality is not going to define you. Mm. So then I had to reset my levels and never look back. It's so funny, Bavin, talking to you now, we, you know, we, we've done 60, 70 of these episodes. The amount of people like yourself who are incredibly successful today, very high profile in dentistry, and they either struggled with their, you know, uh, GCSEs, O-levels, whatever, whatever. There's a know, knock in there somewhere, age. isn't there? There's a little knock yeah, back somewhere. Yeah, they struggle with their A-levels. They don't you know, past a particular module with dentistry school or they they <laughs> failed their finals or whatever. That is such a recurring theme. And it, it makes you think that, you know, learning that resilience skill quite early in life is almost one mm. of those things that helps these people go on to then have that success because they build on that failure. For me, so it, I was so frustrated with my inability to communicate mm. and get nervous. I actually left dental school my second year to become a monk. Oh, wow. I felt I felt so detached from the world like I didn't belong. It's I'd rather escape. And for three months I disappeared, decided to come back. But in a world before Instagram, I couldn't really prove that I was training to be a monk. So they all thought I was... Just out partying or something. <laughs> I was out partying. And now... I only had one professor who backed me and said, actually, I don't think this guy's lying. He needs help. But now I've gone from the non-clinical bit to the clinical bit. The people in my year are already giving injections, taking teeth out. And I'm like, no one's giving me a break saying, we're going to hold your hand and help you catch up. Mm. So it was either, look, you're going to have to do all this. If you drown, you drown and you're out of uni. Mm. So I was literally weeks away from being kicked off. Wow. As I tried to find out who I am, what I want to do, and why I'm doing what I'm mm. doing. Where did you study, Bevin? The Royal London Hospital right. in Whitechapel. Right. Right. Wow, that's amazing. So, so that did, you, did you still live at home at this time and travel in and out for that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> ironically... The halls of residence are in South Woodford. <laughs> so I was like, why would I want to leave home and move down the road? Yeah. So I just stayed oh, I home. know where they are. They're right on the edge of the North Circular. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know exactly. exactly where they are, yeah. yeah. Probably not much point then, really, is it? No. Spend it, all that exactly. money. <laughs> so would you say, based on that, what? how do you recall the experience at dental school? Is it Was it one that you didn't particularly enjoy or do you see it as being a real formation period? So there, there, there's a thing called the Landmark Forum, if, if you've mm. heard of it. Yeah. So the Landmark Forum helped me to understand my ultimate success formula and why I now need to move away from that. So what that meant was I've had a sense of I'm behind everyone mm. and I'm playing catch up. So if and I need to work harder than everyone to catch up with them. Mm. And because of the way I am, I need to get ahead of them because I'm naturally going to slow down and, and get behind. Mm. So if you're wondering how I got to where I am, I'm a futurist. Mm. Oh, okay. I realized I can't beat them playing their game. Let me be the first one to play a different game and go deep into that. Otherwise, I'm always going to be behind. 
And I learned to work harder than anybody else at uni mm. because I was always six months behind everyone. Right. Mm. And that same work ethic then come into my practices and then come into my dentistry, come to my Invisalign. Mm. Yeah. In the lockdown, I was working 17 hour days mm. building something whilst everyone was, was baking cakes. Yeah. <laughs> because the futurist in me saw this is a cataclysmic shift in the way the world's working. Mm. I need to be ahead of the curve and not admiring it from the back. Mm. No, fair play. It's fair amazing play. though, isn't it, to go from a, you know, what was it, a young lad who f can't communicate to someone by the sounds of things who was struggling in dental school and felt they couldn't communicate <laughs> to now what you do when it's all about communicating with people. It, I, I just think that that evolution to go from, from where you started to where you end up is, mm. is it's remarkable in the fact of you've, uh, for, you know, not willing to sound a bit sort of dramatic, but you, you challenged your demons and and were able to slay the demons and you know what's what's that thing that's out of adversity comes strength yeah you know i just think it's that there's a massive you know as you say you 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 were struggling to communicate with people and now your whole uh, align academy is about communicating with people i just I, I just think it's fascinating it's an absolutely fascinating evolution david so the thing is that <coughs> for what people may think was my biggest curse was my biggest gift mm. Because I, from my heart, want to help dentists. And sometimes you just have to talk straight. So when dentists say dentistry is stressful, I'm like, no, it isn't. When you go on a course and you put plastic stuff on plastic teeth, it's not stressful. When you go on a course and you drill teeth in a lab, it's not stressful. So the act of dentistry isn't stressful. Mm. Nothing goes wrong. Mm. We just haven't been taught how to have a have inner communication, communication with a subordinate, communication with a professional, communication with a patient, and our inability to communicate causes stress. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way you're looking at it, yeah. Because I know if you, if you took someone who's a master communicator and you made them into a dentist, they wouldn't experience stress and anxiety and overwhelm in the way a dentist would. Mm-hmm. Mm. If you took someone who was successful in any sphere of life and you put them into dentistry, they wouldn't find it stressful. So at some point, there is a like a self-flagellation or a self-inflicted pain mm. that we put upon ourselves and it's easy to treat. Mm. But for whatever reason, rather than deal with the problem, easier to just keep talking about it <laughs> and what i'm trying to do is to say no let's let's solve the problem and its root and stop talking mm. about mm. it so based on what you say there babin i'm intrigued to know you or get your thoughts so it, it sounds like the typical pathway is people do their um their gcse's their a levels go straight to dental school and then come out as a qualified dentist but based on what you were just saying if people are successful communicators the stress levels they'd experience as dentists would be reduced. So would you say that people that come to dentistry slightly later in life perhaps have a very different experience to younger people who go through the pathway of GCSE, A-level, dental school, and then into the world as a qualified dentist because they've developed some of those interpersonal mm -hmm. communication skills in other fields, which means that they don't find dentistry quite as stressful? Yeah, because... 
our continent is fundamentally undergraduate and postgraduate training in dentistry is flawed because it assumes as long as you have these mm. hands, you'll be successful. And at no point have they thought about integrating head and heart problems. Yep. So we say head, heart and hands. Mm. So if you think about it, at some point, someone would have sat down and said, there's a big problem in dentistry with mental health problems. And they said, all right, let's not, dis- let's not teach it at an undergraduate level. And then you say, well, then how are you managing and helping young dentists to be fit in the, in the real world? And they said, let's make everyone really scared to do dentistry, which is what the universities are doing, called defensive dentistry. Mm-hmm. So if we make them scared, then it means we protect them from ever having to use their head and their the, the hands, sorry, their head and their heart, mm. which means knowing how to communicate, what to say, when to say it, how to say it. And then they come out into dentistry. And if you think about it, 98% of all the courses are how to use your hands, mm-hmm. never on how to use your head and your heart. And then you think, yeah, but the GDC must be looking after us, right? Because they want to protect patients. So the GDC mandate, I have to do x-ray training, basic life support training. But the biggest challenge we have, our head and our heart, mental health challenges, they're not mandating that we should do courses on it. Mm. And it's really bizarre. Mm. Mm. And if you think about it, in every other as in every other career or profession, EQ and communication is huge. Mm. Hmm. But where dentists are not mandated to do it, it's no surprise we have challenges. And now we're at a point where if at an undergraduate, postgraduate level, we're not taught it. Hmm. If the GDC and other authorities don't mandate that we have to work on this. And yet all the indemnity companies know that the dentists with the biggest challenges challenges are those who struggle to have inner and outer communication. Mm-hmm. And I'm at a point in my life, which is if I've been able to overcome my demons and do this, it's pretty easy, but it just feels if within dentistry, because it's so institutionalized with just work on your hands and you'll be fine. It feels like there needs to be like a, a, a movement of dentists saying actually Dentistry on a robot is really easy. Mm. Dentistry in a lab is easy. It's dealing with the humans that's the problem. So let's deal with the problem, which is how to communicate to humans. Mm. No, very good. Mm. Yeah, very true. Interesting. Very true. Do you, just, just, just rounding off your your practice, your your clinical practice experience, and then we'll get on to your your line of alchemy and what that that's doing. Um, how long were you an associate for before you decided to, to buy your first practice? Two years. Just two years? Wow. Well, and what was the driver to own a practice? Mm. What was the thing you wanted it to give you? Again, it was all my problems and hang-ups. I didn't like people telling me what to do, how to do it. Right. I struggled to communicate. So I thought, for me to thrive, I need to control my environment. So I was the first dentist in 2002 to win digital awards. So it was, a, it was said I was the first dentist to have digital dentistry in the UK. TVs on the screen, digital cameras, everything. Because my inability to communicate meant I had to rely upon visuals. Right, okay. So that's why I was the first one doing what I called audio-video examinations, which means 
because I can't communicate. I'm going to have to rely upon a camera and show you. What That's your what? futurist look, isn't it? That's your, you know, stepping out and yeah. doing something different. But also, what a creative way to adapt your environment yeah. to suit you as an individual, to recognise an area where you need support and, and use technology to support you. Yeah, because, again, I had this feeling that I'm behind everyone. Mm. I need to get ahead and I need to work harder. So I thought working as an associate doesn't work for me. In those days, through you guys, you know, it was like, I think, 35% of turnover. It was ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) You could literally, as an associate, work hard for two years and buy (coughs) in cash. Yep. Yep. So I thought, why not? And everyone around me thought I'd go bankrupt because I spent so much money on the renovations and the futurism. But it taught me, it challenged me because all my assertions were were proven wrong. Mm. I thought patients would value the investment in the service, but they all thought oh, I was going to charge a lot and it was all about private dentistry. Mm. I th- so what I realized was everything is about a narrative. Mm. And if you can have a narrative, so for argument's sake, it was called Oakland Dental. So I realized I had to create a narrative. So I said, you know, we are inspired by the oak tree. It has very strong roots, which is its strength. And that's what, that's what we're going to help to give to you. But it's natural beauty brings so much joy and happiness to many. It's, and that's what we're going to do to your smile. We will let your family enjoy it for a long, long time. <laughs> and I realized that narrative meant it was easy for me to then talk about the technology and what we're doing. Mm. Well, it all aligns. Dentist- hey, yeah. See what I did there? <laughs> Ah, I'm the lying guy. I think what what I what I realized was t- t- too many people were all about having fancy logos, mm. but there was no congruity of brand and mission. Mm. And what I realized was by entrenching culturally who we are, what we do, what makes us different, it created conversations, and those conversations meant people said, "Actually, I understand why this is a superior level of care for mm-hmm. me." Because the, the technology, the narrative, and the philosophy are aligned, and it's significantly different to NHS. Yeah, absolutely, mm. absolutely. I mean, I, we want to get to the um, the align of alchemy bit, but just to round off your practice ownership, you obviously you've owned a number of practices over the years. But just kind of jumping to the end, what what was your what was your reasoning for wanting to get out of practice ownership? What was hated it really? <laughs> Should never ever have been a practice principal. What did you hate, Bavin? Or was everything? <laughs> no. <laughs> As in, I'm a... Until you know yourself, you don't really know what to do in life. Mm. I didn't realise at that point... So success come to me too quickly. From an EQ point, I wasn't ready. Right. Right. So emotionally, I wasn't ready for the, the huge success and what that meant for me. And I turned into an OCD crazy idiot. So... <laughs> Like it once upset me that the patient I knew wanted Earl Grey tea, but they were served Darjeeling tea. And I couldn't let that go. And it played on my mind at nighttime. And I thought, that's crazy. This, I think I'm, I'm, I'm ill. It's not normal to let little things like that bug you. Mm. And what happened? So I become a dentist. The, the other reason was my dad never got to, got to see me play sports. Right. 
I wish my dad could have seen me play cricket. So I become a dentist to have freedom, flexibility in finance. Mm-hmm. And I was now a slave to my practice. I had a number of things go wrong, including ID fraud, postal fraud. I had fraud from the Cypriot bank. I was on the verge of bankruptcy because of fraud. Oh my wow. goodness. Number of things happened. And I got to a point where I'm doing this to be the best father and husband I can, but I'm a slave to the business that keeps consuming all my energy. Mm-hmm. And I, I decided to sell just to be a better father. I couldn't see a way out. So I had a choice. I either sacrifice my family or I sacrifice my sanity, but I maintain the practice. Mm. And credit to you for so and credit for you to being so honest about that and making that decision. Because I'm sure there's lots of people who are in practice ownership that perhaps wouldn't have your diet experience, but it's not working for them. But because that's the treadmill they're mm. on, they just stay on it and they're not happy. They don't a, see a yeah. opportunity to change. Yeah, I think that's really I think that's really enlightening for lots of people to hear your honesty about it didn't work for you, you didn't like it, you didn't enjoy it, it was impacting other parts of your life, so you made a decision to make a change. The thing is, the writing is always on the wall. The universal God always gives you signs, but we're normally blind to them because we tunnel vision mm. to to get somewhere. Mm-hmm. What I realised was I, I wanted to get somewhere, but I didn't know where. Mm. So I thought, what's the point on just keeping on running and going? Let me first figure out what it is I want. So one of our other concepts is dentists focus too much on smile design, but not dentist design. Hmm. Design the dentist, design your life, design what you want, and then fixate on how to fix smiles. Hmm. Hmm. And, you know, I find it weird, guys, that, you know, my kids will leave school knowing nothing about inflation, APR, money. And yet it's the single most important thing that will that will be the cause of stress in their life. Yeah. And we know that, but we're still illiterate. Mm-hmm. Then all the important people in dentistry know the impact of stress, mental health, and yet we're not taught how to overcome it. Mm-hmm. And it just feels like we're living in a parallel universe at times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So lifting lifting where we are or where you were to where you are now, you're now the CEO of the Alina Alchemy Academy. So tell us a bit about that. How did that come into being? What what does it do for, for dentists? What are you- so basically, once I sold my practice, I've, I'm almost become bankrupt. I was on the verge of moving into mum and dad's house. <laughs> I told my kids I'm going to quit dentistry. My daughter said, Dad, you tell us never to give up. Keep going. Thought, oh, oh, well. Cow. <laughs> yeah. Replayed from she's, your offspring. Lovely. <laughs> yes. She's like doing Jedi mind tricks yeah, on yeah, me. Yeah. So I used to travel 80 miles in one direction to work on the NHS. Did not have a performer number, but the guilt of what had happened meant I kept going. Mm. And one day I had a huge medical problem. I lost my eyesight. Many things happened. And I now had to work two days a week. So now I said to the kids, I'm definitely leaving dentistry. So on the NHS, I can't earn enough money to pay unless we move in with mum and dad. Mm-hmm. That's when my Invisalign journey started. Because I had to think, how can I grow and scale independent of this NHS mm-hmm. practice? So I'm doing 10,000 UDAs and only work two days a week. 
and yet not do dentistry. Yeah. So the only form of dentistry that lends itself to that is Invisalign. Mm. I then become. When, when was that? What, a, what year was that, Bavin? So, so, so this journey started eight years ago. So I'm just thinking back to that I, being at the forefront of something. Yeah, you know, yeah. Invisalign now is everywhere. Invisalign eight years ago, back in 2014, was not everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, I've been extremely lucky that all these things have happened to me that have nudged me in a direction, and I got to a point where. We're now the biggest aligner network in the UK across the two businesses. One's a marketing branch and one's a coaching and training branch. And we're now able to share what we do and how we do it. So last week, Invisalign had their forum or their summit. Yeah. Of the five awards given, three of them were my ex-students or are my students. <laughs> wow. So success leaves a clue, which is... I don't want to make my story about me and what I did. I want to make it about the people that have gone through the system and they that and what was a nightmare for them is now a dream. Mm. But that's why I like the story of the caterpillar mm. because they had to go in the cocoon which is my program so that they could come out and fly. Mm. Mm. Was it natural for you to Given what you said about your, your your starting life and you know not speaking and your stammer and your stutter and the difficulties of the communication and the the practice ownership experience not being perhaps all you hoped for, to then put yourself into a position of of coaching and teaching and and training people, did that feel like you were stepping not just out of your comfort zone but into another universe? So at every point, I ask myself, what would I say to my children? So I can't be a hypocrite and see greatness in my children and say, be the change you want to see in the world. So if my daughter is sat, so my daughter's a super fe a feminist. So if, if X, Y, and Z upsets you, be the change and change it. So I'm Indian ancestry. So Mahatma Gandhi said that, be the change. So what I learned is for my children to be the incredible souls and have that incredible destiny that I think they have in them. Mm -hmm. I have to show them that I'm willing to change at every point and I'm willing to go out of my comfort zone and I will help you to come out of your comfort zone. So I realized the best way I could help my kids because the thing is that they're 12 and 14, the jobs they're going to do, Chris, have not been invented yet when you think about AI. <laughs> yeah. So if if, if I'm not training them to be doctors and dentists and I need them to have grit, resilience, tenacity, communication skills, if I need them to have a high EQ, I'm going to have to show them the path mm. because conventional education is not going to teach them that, if that makes sense. No, no, true. Yeah, definitely. I said I was going to make this fun and I've gone really deep. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I think it's fascinating. It's, it's, it's good I think stuff. it's really useful. Because to be honest, Babin, a, a lot of this stuff doesn't necessarily get talked about as much. No. You know, it's easy to talk about, um, or in many cases, it's easy to talk about success and, and you know, the glossy veneer of, of, of things. But this conversation is about the real nuts and bolts mm. of, of the thing what is, you've had to go I'm through. I'm all about being real. Yeah. And being real means my generation were brainwashed into thinking you will retire when you're 55 or 60. Mm, yeah. But if we look at Her Majesty or anyone else with modern science, nanotechnology, microbiology, 
I will live to 120 years old. Mm-hmm. There's not a single country that's going to want an army of elderly Brits turning up in their 90s. Yeah. <laughs> so the first question you ask yourself is, at what age does science say I'm going to leave this earth? Mm. Probably 120, me and you, Andy, mm. right? So if you accept that notion, that means I'm going to have to remain relevant and active till I'm 90 before I feel like I want to retire. So if retirement is no longer 60, but 90, because no one's going to guess your age looking at you, Andy, right? No. No, I look very good for it. You're right. You look <laughs> you look very good for a 70-year-old. That he does, yeah. Very good. <laughs> but But the point I'm making is, we thought we were running a 100-meter sprint and it's turned into a marathon. Now, at some point, you have to readdress how you train, what you eat, what you do, how you do it. Mm. Otherwise, you burn out. And unless you have huge family wealth, which I don't, unless you have huge privilege, which I don't, you have to play the long game. Mm. And what we're trying to say to dentists is that if you accept that you're probably that you're going to retire at ninety, because I've seen my father with, you know, he retired at sixty, he turns eighty soon. Yeah, I've seen his twenty years of retirement. I couldn't do that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what we're saying to, to, to the professionals around us is, what's your plan? Mm. Hence the whole idea of dentist design, because mm. the world is changing and we need to be real. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. And is this something that's been embraced and picked up on by younger dentists as well as slightly older dentists? Is it, is it, is it, is it something that, that is kind of age-based in terms of how people are viewing this as, a, as an outlook so, for future life? So, so the way I look at it is right now we are farmers in Cumbria somewhere. And there's a, re- there's, a, there's a revolution going on. There's an industrial revolution. Life's going to change. And if all you do is listen to farmers who are hoeing and plowing the land, you're not going to be ready to embrace the industrial revolution. The AI... Re- so where I'm really lucky is my brother-in-law happens to... was the AI director for Sony Santa Monica. He made the God of War games. Right. And now he works for Epic Games, who make Fortnite. Oh. And all of my education is on the West Coast of America, hence the futurist bit. Mm. If you look at, or if you were to read Homo Deus by Yuval Harari, and you look at the impact that AI and everything's going to have, we're about to enter the new revolution, the new industrial age. And if you're not positioning yourself emotionally, mentally, physically for that, mm. you're going to have a huge shock because I don't believe in 10 years humans will be, you know, manning trains anymore. Mm. Even if you look at, you know, if you look at my father, he's got a, a pacemaker. So in the future, people like me and you, Andy, might be the $6 million man. <laughs> We grew up watching these things where you could be augmented, mm. yeah, but that's already happening, mm. and we're at this really exciting point. But the challenge is because we're so Victorian in our outlook and how dentistry is taught, 
it's a real struggle for the young guys when they come into the new digital world mm. to say, I'm transitioning from Victorian dentistry to modern dentistry, but I'm already behind the curve when it comes to AI and digital. Mm. And mm. going back to dental school level, is the, the training, the thinking, and some of the techniques and tools that are happening in dental school today, are they up to date enough? Is it, are they embracing the full breadth of what digital dentistry has to offer? Or does that only get learnt when you come out of dental school and you get into a... When you come out. Um, so sadly, when you speak to young associates, and I have an opportunity to speak to them and train mm -hmm. them, like there was a chap the other day, he did one crown prep at university and he got his degree. Wow. Wow. And it's a common pattern. And when you say to them, but how much of that was digital? None of it. Mm. Wow. How much of it was this? None of it. And it feels like we're teaching kids to use a typewriter, mm. but, but, but we're not helping them to be at speed so that they can transition to a keyboard. We're just showing them how to do that. Mm. And they're coming out into a new digital world and they're wondering what the disconnect is. And is it, wow. is it, is it to do with investment required at the dental school level or is it as much to do with attitudes as well? So if you were to go to certain dental lectures and the PowerPoint comes up, you're like, hang on, that's Windows XP. <laughs> <laughs> and that tells you everything. Because if one guy prepared a lecture 20 years ago on XP... Mm -hmm. And is still running that yeah, yeah, yeah. on an Asian laptop. He hasn't updated what they're doing, and we understand that undergraduate level the challenges that they have because you need to have enterprise. So, you now I was born in ninety seven. In nineteen seventy four, the British government wrote the first white paper for expansion of Heathrow, <laughs> and they're still discussing it. Oh, that's ridiculous. <laughs> so, if you think about that, in the year I was born. In government, they said, we need to think about what's happening in the world and expand Heathrow. Paris expanded, Schiphol, Amsterdam. There's something about the English mindset where we don't adapt to what's happening quick enough. Mm -hmm. And we see all throughout politics and what's happening in the world right now. But in dentistry, the sad fact is many of these kids are coming out and it's right, my education starts now. But the important change is that when I qualified, there was no student debt. Mm. Mm. Whereas they have a huge student debt. They've got no chance of buying a practice. They've got no chance of buying a house in the southeast of England. So where they spend their money on their education is hugely important. And they want to spend it. But the challenge is, do I spend it and focus on me and my growth? Communication. Or do I spend it on learning how to do lots of fancy cosmetic stuff? Mm. And right now, that's where they're stuck because they do the cosmetic work, but it doesn't impact their life because they don't have the soft skills and the EQ, mm -hmm. which is more of a predictor of, su of success for them. I think part of the mm. issue as well, Bavin, it's, um, it's when you want to return. Because if you go on a clinical course on Friday and Saturday, you could start to deliver that to patients mm. on the Monday and earn money from what you've learned on the Friday and the Saturday. If you invest in yourself and improve your EQ and, and personal development and growth, that's going to be good for the next 20, 30 years. 
but you won't get an immediate return on Quickly. the investment of that. No, so do you want, it takes time. And that's effort, classic thing. It? Do you want a harder life now to have an easy life later? Or do you want an easy life now, but you might get a harder life later? Mm. It's that whole, whole balance. And, and you're right, it takes longer term thinking to invest in yourself and, and grow yourself um, because that's going to benefit you over a so, period of time. So things on that point, young kids are not taught basic life skills. Mm. So I understand in a world of instant gratification, mm. delayed gratification in the long game is really hard. And yet the irony is every person a dentist respects has played the long game. Yeah. Mm. Even if you think of Edison failing 10,000 times, they can, we, we all completely rate him. And yet he was never about instant gratification. And the challenge is you've got a group of kids who've come through. And in dentistry, the challenge is a lot of dentists who are qualifying now are privately educated from affluent, rich families. And perhaps, you know, there's a part of the world that they haven't seen or had to experience. Mm. Yeah, true. So there's a steep learning curve. If, if they inherently don't have that grit, resilience, tenacity, and, and perhaps they've never had to play the long game. Mm. 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 Has it been too easy? What's really interesting talking to you is that your whole business is around, you know, aligners, Invisalign. We've barely touched or talked about, you know, the, the actual product mm. is almost a sideshow. Yeah, to the to rest of it. making sure that everybody gets their It's dentist development, right, as you were saying. You've got to develop the development. dentist. So the thing is, I just want a three-day boot camp back to bank. I said to everyone, if I talk dentistry, kill, kill me, kick me. <laughs> mm. Because your success is nothing to do with these. Mm. So our concept is that as a dentist, I was trained to be Sherlock Holmes. Mm. So I go to a crime scene, my ability to be successful depends upon if I'm like Sherlock Holmes, right? Today's NCIS Miami. Just turn up with your digital sophisticated stuff. Mm. And because of DNA and everything, it's really easy to be a rock star and solve loads of crimes. Mm. So there is a leveling up in dentistry that we're not talking about, which is you don't have to be particularly gifted with your hands because digital disruption is leveling that up. Mm. Yeah, very true. Mm. And especially for younger kids, they need to be taught there's a whole new skill set you need to learn to be relevant. Mm. Because if you spent your whole life developing these and now a robot can do it better than you, mm. you're in trouble. Mm. Mm. Fascinating. Fascinating. So if so let's assume that that you're sitting in front of somebody who's thinking about you know getting into um, aligners, invisalign as, as as being their their future. What what would be the three tips you'd give to, to people thinking about that as being mm. part of their their future in terms of clinical services? So firstly, if we if we look at from a risk profile, the biggest litigation bomb to go off is premature aging of teeth. Premature aging of teeth is what we call toothware. A lot of toothware is ex is happening right now because the front teeth hit really hard. So aligner therapy is a great way to avoid the teeth rubbing hard if you do it in a certain way. So the first thing is Invisalign or aligner, sorry, let me use the word aligner therapy is no longer cos about cosmetics and vanity. It's the basic foundation and bedrock of health. If you have straight teeth, you, you can clean them. So no more seeing the hygienist and having to use floss anymore. If you've got straight teeth and use electric, electric toothbrush, that's health. 
if your front teeth don't bash as hard, your teeth are not going to prematurely age. So there's a paradigm shift that we talk about, which is if it's the bedrock of health, we now have an opportunity to offer you health. So one, one of my passions is to, in a hubristic sense, say I want to smash the four-mouth reconstruction game in dentistry. A four-mouth reconstruction when a dentist says, look, I crowned 20 teeth, I charge 30 pounds, is a dentist in essence saying 20 years ago, I didn't have the finesse and sophistication of articulation to explain to the patient, we need to do something now to prevent something. Otherwise, the only cure is 20, 30,000 pounds of crowns. Mm -hmm. So the second tip is when you philosophically say, I buy into this idea of intervention and prevention, yeah? Because a dentist has no problem selling prevention for four or five pounds, mm -hmm. be that toothbrush, toothpaste. Mm -hmm. The paradigm shift is in certain people, a line of treatment is needed to prevent problems down the road. Mm. And when you look for it, it's everywhere. So the, 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 the gift of a line of therapy is that you're doing the best thing for the patient so they don't have to have their teeth mutilated in 20, 30 years. Mm. What you're doing is a more advanced form of prevention. And the third thing is that if you enjoy what they call the author restorative interface, which is how can I be a lot more interceptive with what I do? The market opportunity is astronomical. And the opportunity to be able to work three days and take home 20 grand is completely realistic. Hmm. So from a point of intention and service to your patients, you're doing the right thing for them. But you yourself are having the life the energy and the finances that you always wanted. Mm. It's what they call ikigai. Yeah. Wow. Ah, oh, great. That's, oh, brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I think the way you, you present it. The clinical, I think, is that the, the preventative is a good way of doing it, isn't it? Yeah. The fact of, you know, you're not just doing it to make your teeth look lovely and straight. You're doing it because actually it will... It's a bit like why you service your car in that sort of bizarre way, isn't it? Because it stops something that might happen future down the line. Yeah, it's, it's kind of protecting your future environment, isn't it? Yeah, because ultimately, I'm glad you mentioned the car, right? Because a, someone who services cars and dentists are the two most distrusted professions in the world. Yeah. Apart from estate because, agents. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But 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 not dental brokers or dental agents. Oh, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, just thinking ourselves absolutely. on that. Yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> but the point being is that I, the challenge both have is where the con end consumer is not engaged, empowered, educated as to what's happening, they can't make informed decisions, and because they can't see what's happening and understand why that's bad. So once I took my car to Audi, and the guy said, "Look." Your car passes its MOT, so it's healthy. But I, I advise that we change the tyres. I'm like, no, it's part of the MOT. And, but the guy was clever and he said, look, you, I can see that you do a lot of mileage. I can see the baby chain in the back. Are you sure you want to take the risk of driving with these tyres and it's raining with the kids in the back? Mm -hmm. And I thought, the guy's a genius. <laughs> And I paid a thousand pounds for four tyres. Yeah. 
because the narrative we've had from universities fix and break you break and i fix mm. the new narrative is risk assessing mm. and prognostic the minute because if you think about it if one of your partners was to become ill god forbid the cha- the the doctor never talks about what the diagnosis is it's, it's the prognosis mm. if we do this it's this if we do this it's this if we do surgery it's this so what we're trying to teach dentists is a medical model of care which is more sophisticated online with what people are looking for from their physicians or the hospitals and the minute you empower someone that way so i right now i'm pre-diabetic the doctor said take the tablets i said no but he empowered me enough that every six months i'll take my my blood test but once my metrics reach a certain agreed threshold I'll take the medicines. Mm-hmm. But we never have those chats with our patients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we're surprised by one day we say to them, by the way, you need to have six crowns done. And they're like, where did that come yeah, from? Yeah, yeah, out of the blue. Yeah. Yeah. No, nah, but yeah, very good. It is very good. Very good. Yeah. I find you fascinating, Bamin. I think your, your deep take on things, and you were laughing earlier about, you know, it's not much fun, it's quite deep. But your deep take on things is... Very thought, it's very thoughtful, very provocative in terms of making people well, think the about is, the bigger stuff. So for me, the biggest blessing was wanting to be a monk. Mm. Because I realised if I could be a monk, which was to think critically and deeply, but to be detached, to not have fear within, mm-hmm. and to realise what Bruce Lee said or what Michael Jordan, all these greats, it's you against you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's never the patient is this, the GDC is this, the CQC is this, NHS is this. It's always you versus mm. you. And the minute you take that approach and you try to keep life simple, it's really, really easy. Mm. As dentists, we're afflicted with a huge brain and we like to overcomplicate things. Yeah. That's an interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, like, I think you're right. I think lots of things can be distilled down to, to simplicity. Mm. Bavin, we always... Um, finish up in the same way we would like to ask our guests the same two questions so the question our first question we have for you is if you could be a fly on the wall with somebody in a certain situation when when would that be and who would you be with mm. so i believe at some point a group of university deans got together and say we need to change the syllabus and start to scare dentists and do what's called defensive dentistry i would love to understand that narrative because if we wish to help the young generation of dentists, we need to understand why they've been programmed that way. Mm. Because only by understanding why they intentionally program dentists to be so scared of everything, because there's a huge difference between a dentist educated in the UK and Europe. Because in Europe, they've not been institutionalized and been taught to be scared of everything. Mm. Interesting. And if we... If we as observers and pundits of dentistry could understand that, then we can then start to help this younger generation because that's the most important thing. Mm. Yeah. I suppose if you brought up that classic thing, you know, I know it's uh, uh, getting a bit deep, but you know, like uh, sometimes a, a family abuse, if you're brought up in fear, yeah. you will always live in fear, won't you? And that's exactly what you're mm. saying with the dentistry. If you're, if you're, the, the narrative says basically if you screw up, you're mm. going to be sued. Oh. <laughs> then the answer is just don't screw up. But, don't but, actually get better. But also on <laughs> just that, don't it, screw it, up. It's and, like, and, and the risk is yeah. on that child abuse scene, that, uh, a, a guy called Dave Peltzer wrote a trilogy, but the first one was a child called it. 
and he was in an abusive household. It was his, his parents that abused his mother that abused him. And as he became a, a young man, he was petrified to have children of his own because of the fear of the abuse becomes the, the abuser. Thing. But in, in a dentistry sense, if people are being taught in a sense of defensive dentistry, that's going to impact the teams they work with and how they mm. operate. And the next generation are going to get fed into that. So it becomes a vicious circle that just kind of never ends. And that's just the way that people learn. Imagine and trying to conquer behave. space. Yeah. With defensive, well, no, we couldn't do that. That's a bit dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, we won't do that. And, and yet, and yet, and yet so, so then check this out. Whenever I ask a group of young dentists, I say to them, fear is false expectation appearing real. Yeah. So I say to them, hands up, if you know someone who's been to the GDC, no one puts their hands up. And I say, hands up, if you've been sued, no one puts their hands up. Hands up, if you know someone who's been sued. So I say, this chat right now is a bit like when I used to work in Clacton-on-Sea. Clacton-on-Sea was the first part of the UK to, to vote Brexit. Douglas Carswell switched from Conservative to the UKIP party. Because... People in Clacton saw an army of foreigners crossing the channel. And yet there was not a single coloured face in Clacton on sea. Mm. So their experiences that, that, that there's no immigration, immigrants, migrants in this area. But somehow they were brainwashed into thinking it's happening mm. on their doorstep. And I say to them, if you know no one who's been sued or has gone to the GDC, why are you so scared? Mm. And you realise it's an institutional brainwashing or scaring people that's happening at an undergraduate level. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's unconscious bias in a way, isn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So our second question, Bavin, is you can meet somebody. Who would you like to meet if you were given the opportunity to sit down with them and have a coffee and a chat? It's going to be a deep one again. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Honestly, we're, we're in so deep. We might as well stay there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so in, in, from the Indian freedom movement, there's a guy called Sardar Vallabhai Patel. And I find this guy fascinating. I'd love to talk to him because world is all about influencers and celebrities. Mm. So everyone knows Gandhi, Nehru, these big characters. But behind them, there is an engine that makes it all happen. And it was this guy. And in my life, I, I struggle with just being happy with the personal victory. Because we live in a world where you feel like you want to be validated, acknowledged, or for people just to understand who you are and what you do, so you can help them. And in the sense of recent Indian history, he's the most phenomenal character because without him, India would have never had the freedom and the stability it has today. But he's the the silent part that mm. no one knows about. And sometimes in life, your ego says, I, I want to be acknowledged. I want fame, recognition. I want to be an influencer. Mm. But that, that those doors don't always open. And sometimes it's really hard for me anyway, from a personal point, to just be happy with the personal victories that I get every day mm. for my clients. Yeah. And I know that I could do so much better if I could just not... If I could just be really happy with the person with the private victories yeah. and not crave public victories. Right. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Sorry about all the deep. Yeah. Let's make it lighthearted yeah. now. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 no, I think uh, particularly where we are in the current climate and, and where social media and, and influence in that context sits, 
I think that's a really valuable, um, valuable point. What's that phrase? There's always the power behind the throne. Isn't yeah. There? The kingmaker. Well, as in, it, it's something that, so that's a VT, Roger Ratton told us all to study seven habits of highly effective people and Stephen, Stephen Covey. Covey. yeah. And the whole thing about the, if you think about everything I've said, it's the seven habits. Mm. Begin with the end in mind, seek first to understand and then be understood, mm-hmm. synergize, sharpen the wheel. And the last one is, you, you can only be content and happy in life when, you're, when you just strive for the private victories. And mm. if the public one comes, it's a bonus. Yes. But we live in a world where you only feel fulfilled if you have the public victory yeah. because you're doing it for someone else. And, and then you, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. No, that's a good, good point. Bavin, it's been, it's been wonderful. It's been, it's been really enjoyable. I think people will probably want to get a, a, a pen and a notebook by their yeah. side. The fact we didn't finish at 20 minutes shows how good it is. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you promised us 20 minutes and we're at 55. It's been, it's been really, really fabulous. I think the thing is, this is what I was put on earth to do, mm. if I was to try to summarise. Yeah. I was put on earth to say, I've had a, an experience and a journey and I'm, I'm getting through it. Mm. And I want to inspire and help others to say, if that middle-aged Fat, bold bloke could do it. Yeah, I can do it. And to just have that confidence in yourself that if I achieve what they call the Roger Bannister moment. Mm-hmm. So there's an interesting story that the week after Roger, Roger Bannister run the mile in four minutes, the next week an Australian guy yeah. did it. Yeah. And the, and the question is, did he train different? Did he sleep different or did he eat different? Mm. And someone just broke an emotional glass ceiling. Yeah, he, right, be- yeah. he, ble- he saw it was possible. It suddenly became achievable. Yeah, yeah, he saw it was possible. And I see my purpose on earth to break that emotional glass ceiling that cages a dentist in the current reality. Mm. And it's only through chats like these with very kind people like you giving me a platform <laughs> to talk about these things that we can talk about these mm. things because I've not even mentioned what I do commercially. No, that's right. It doesn't bother that's me. Right. Yeah. That's what these are about. Yeah. But, that, but about, I, I was going to say, I think the conversation we've had has been so useful. Yeah, that's So powerful. No, brilliant. Thank you, Bavin. It's been lovely. Yeah, it's been really good. Thank you very much indeed. No doubt we'll be seeing you at a, a dental event or an award ceremony Coming at some point soon. soon. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Excellent. Lovely. Appreciate your time today, Yeah, that's Bavin. fabulous. Thanks, Bavin. Look after yourself. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.